0: The Late Show Show with Stephen Colbert. Welcome back to The Late Show. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, my guests tonight are Broadway legends with over 20 musicals under their belts. One of them wrote the scores for Cabaret in Chicago, the other one created In the Heights in Hamilton. Please welcome to The Late Show, Lynn Manuel Miranda and John Kander. Pleasure, nice shirt. Welcome back. <laughs> Look at that. We don't get that every night. John Kander, uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda. Lovely to see both of you. You're both giants of the musical theater world. John, you've been at it just a little bit longer
1: than Lynn <laughs> um, over there.
0: How old are you now, sir?
1: Ninety-six.
0: Ninety-six. BORN IN 1927, THEN, um, it? Um, YES, I WAS. Oh, THIS THEATER WAS BUILT IN 1927. <laughs> YEAH, YOU GUYS ARE TWINS. <laughs> I, feel when, so, when did, I FEEL SO, wh- so MUCH BETTER NOW. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: <laughs> AND WHEN DID LYNN COME ON YOUR RADAR? Uh, I CAN REMEMBER THAT EXACTLY. I, I WENT TO SEE AN OFF MODERATE PRODUCTION OF IN THE HEIGHTS I did, uh, BECAUSE A FRIEND OF MINE WAS IN IT. I DIDN'T KNOW ANYTHING ABOUT HIM. And I saw this miracle on the stage. And uh, I I stayed behind to... I'm not a very aggressive person, but I did stay behind because I wanted to meet him and find out who was responsible for this.
2: Well, that's really true. That's really true. And he, and he invited me to lunch, oh, and I was great. so scared, because here I am uh, eating lunch with the guy who wrote some of my favorite musicals. Um, and we sat down around the corner from your house, and the first thing he said to me was, do you ever feel, when you're writing a song, like you have no idea what you're doing? <laughs> and that immediately, like, leveled the playing field, and then we just started talking about songwriting, and we're still talking about it 15 years later.
1: Right, and it's... Uh... It's funny. Our series of luncheons were something that just sort of evolved. I uh, I learned a lot from him, and uh, and still am. And we became fast friends, and so here we are.
2: Here we are. (laughs) Inside the TV. There it is.
1: There you go. Well.
0: So you guys started working together after those lunches, and now you're working on New York, New York. What what is that about? Uh, New York, New York is very... Well, it takes
2: its name and uh, the barest livers of plot from the original Scorsese film starring Robert De Niro and Liza Minnelli, but it really is... Uh, a love letter to New York City. It takes place just after World War II, uh, and it's about musicians uh, coming to the city, really citizens coming from all over the world, uh, to become themselves in New York. And, and the song that John so brilliantly writes is, they're looking for their major chord, which is music, money, love. <laughs> Not necessarily in that order. <laughs>
0: no, uh, let's talk about the title song. John, um, what do you remember about writing New York, New York? Because I know that the form of the song that we all know and love now is not the original form of the song.
1: Thank God.
0: <laughs> I would agree. I've heard the original. You have? I have. Must, I heard the Terry Gross killed. interview. And I think you guys did a good job on that rewrite of that song. How did it come about? Uh,
1: well, Fred and I... Uh, Fred, Fred, Ebb,
0: you're, you're, Fred Ebb,
1: your writing uh, partner for so many years. Uh, and I went down to play... We were assigned to write a score for a movie called New York, New York that Martin Scorsese was directing and Liza Minnelli and Robert De Niro were in. And we uh, went down to Marty's office and we played our score that th- I think there were seven, eight songs, something like that. And he and Liza were very complimentary. And we started to go home and over in the couch was somebody we hadn't met, and that was Robert De Niro. Just, just like and, this. And uh, we saw, all, <laughs> all we saw of him was an arm that went up, and uh, and Scorsese said, Excuse me just a minute, De Niro wants to speak to me. And so he went over and sat at the couch with him, and then I saw two arms doing that. <laughs> and uh, then Scorsese came back, and in the... The most embarrassed way said that De Niro fears, feels that the title song, which is associated with him, is not as strong as The World Goes Round, which is associated with Liza's character. And he, he really could hardly get the words out. He said, would you guys mind going back and taking another crack at it? How did you feel about that? Oh, uh, Freddie and I, in our politest stiffness, said, duh, of course. <laughs> and... Uh, of course they lied. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we, we left, and we went back to Freddie's apartment, and we were so pissed off. <laughs> and, uh, And that that some actor was going to tell us. Some actor. Some (laughs) Bobby D. somebody or other, yeah. Anyhow, we went into Freddie's uh, Freddie's study, and in 45 minutes, we wrote this other song uh, that we now know as New York, New York. Uh, And we took it back, and uh, they got to it and liked the song, and... POINT OF IT ALL IS THAT DE, De NIRO WAS ABSOLUTELY RIGHT. <laughs> the, the, THE ORIGINAL SONG WE WROTE WAS SO EMBARRASSING THAT, that uh, TODAY, ACTUALLY, uh, SAM Davis, WHO are, IS OUR MUSIC COORDINATOR, SNEAKED IT INTO THE UNDERSCORING. OH, <laughs>
0: SO IT'S IN, IT'S
1: SOMEWHERE IN THIS MUSIC I'M NOT
0: TELLING YOU WHERE.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> BY THE WAY, well, I THINK THAT'S THE SECRET OF THE SONG'S SUCCESS AND WHY IT'S BECOME A NEW YORK ANTHEM, IS BECAUSE they wrote it while oh, they were a little pissed off. <laughs> and I think every New Yorker is a little pissed off. Who do you think you are? I'll show you yeah. greatness. It has just a
0: little <laughs> you in it. A little <laughs> bap, bam, bam, in it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, the line, if you, if you can make it there, is, of course, one of the most famous lines from the song and the most famous things associated with New York now. Well, what is the moment you realize you made it Lynn let's start
2: with you um, well, well I always say I- I'll never make a bigger leap in my life than going from substitute teacher at my old high school to Broadway composer <laughs> which was wow. the leap I made when in the heights made it from off Broadway to Broadway I was still subbing even when
0: you we weren't you weren't even a permanent teacher you were just... I was a,
2: yeah I was I was I relied on Teachers at mild high school to get sick five times a month and then I could pay my rent. <laughs> wow. Um, so that was the biggest leap I'll ever take in my life. Mm-hmm. But I think the moment was kind of, uh, you know, I think the, the, the moment you realize you're a New Yorker is when you can walk into your bodega and they just start making the order. Because uh. you're there every day. That's like... Right,
0: they know. That's John, yeah. what, what, is, what is your... What, what's your sense of being a New Yorker, John? Do you, have a, do, you have a, do you have a thing that you associate with really being a New Yorker?
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, some, some of it, I think, is... I was saying in the other room, something I didn't realize until today, I think I've always been a New Yorker, even when I was growing up in Kansas City.
0: <laughs> what, what's that ineffable thing?
1: Uh... Okay, this is, this, is, this, this is the substance of the show, really, and it's something I believe truly, deeply. I think that New York City is the greatest social experiment that the world has ever seen. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I did, what are the elements of the experiment? I think uh, everybody lives in New York. And everybody's natural enemy lives in New York. Truly. <laughs> really. Sure. And the fact is, for the most part, they don't kill each other. <laughs> and, and if you think, uh, you think of other big cities in, in the world, you think of London and all of the people from all over the world who live there, and the English. And in Paris, you think of all the people who live there from all over the world, and the French. In New York. There's only others, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. and the, the idea of that has moved me my whole life, and... Uh, when did you first come to New York? Uh, I came to New York. Uh, my folks uh, used to bring my brother and me here on spring vacation, and we would go to theater every night and my brother would sit at one end of the row and I would at the other wisely. And uh, 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 and the lights would go down and we would instinctively uh, lean forward and look at each other. Uh, I was in music and theater from the time I was a little kid. It, I just assumed that this is where I would live. And then at... Uh, AT THE END OF THE WAR, uh, WHICH I I DIDN'T KILL ANYBODY. WORLD <laughs> uh, WAR
0: II, JUST SO EVERYBODY yeah. KNOWS, YEAH.
1: OH, MY GOD, THERE HAVE BEEN THAT MANY WARS. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but in a FEW SINCE, UNFORTUNATELY, uh, YEAH.
1: Th- WHEN YOUR SHIP CAME TO NEW YORK, uh, AFTER WHEREVER YOU HAD BEEN, THERE WERE SIGNS EVERYWHERE THAT SAID, WELCOME HOME, WELL DONE. And that could sound really corny to a lot of people today, but it wasn't the well done part, it was the welcome home. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna cry a <laughs> <laughs>
0: You say that you, you say you've been writing since you were writing since you were quite small. I, I want to get to what your first song was in just a moment, but Lynn, do you remember the first song you wrote? Um, I think it was into my Fisher Price tape recorder. Oh, it was called "The
2: Garbage Pail Kids Are in Town,"
1: uh-huh.
2: and it was about all the different garbage pail kids because I collected garbage pail kids cards, and they were coming to town.
0: <laughs> John, what was your first song? Do you remember? <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, it's was, it was a Christmas carol that I wrote when I was in second grade. Wow. And uh, my, it, it, I didn't find out until many years later that my second grade teacher, Ms. Matthews, had called my folks and said, uh, uh, I just want to tell you that John wrote a Christmas carol. Is that all right? Because I know you're Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> And what did your folks say? Was that okay? That was fine with them. They tried to explain to me that there was more to it than that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You you wrote for
0: so many years. You wrote with 40 years with your partner, Fred Ebb. What is it like to to continue to compose and to create songs without him? What are the the challenges and what are some of the discoveries that you've made?
1: Uh, Well, after Freddie died in, in 2004, there were some... Leftover projects, which I vowed to finish, and I began to work with other people with myself uh, and i think I think I found out that i couldn 't not write uh, and uh and that's really, the, that's really the whole secret. It's like a habit that you just can't get rid of. Mm-hmm. And I've been really, really lucky that uh, I get to play in the sandbox with people like him.
0: Yep. <clears throat> Lynn, I know that you, you're inspired. I know that you've been inspired by, by, by John and, and, and Fred Ebb, and I understand that you wrote the song The Room Where It Happens, extraordinary song from Hamilton, as a love letter to them. How so? Yeah, that's my song in Hamilton that is my my
2: little uh, hat nod to to Candern Ebb. It's, it's a very different style from the rest of it, because I was... And again, we've had many conversations about how we don't recognize our own styles, and so I, I told John this, and he said, what are you about and the only real tell uh is at the end of that song if you listen it goes you know the great leslie Odom jr sings i want to be in the room and then he goes click boom psh. and that is all that <laughs> that jazz <Psh>. <laughs> 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 that's just straight it. up all that I jazz
0: steal i hear it and that's my little love letter to john we have to take another break, but stick around. There's more Lynn, Manuel, Miranda, and John Kander to come. John, who are some of your heroes? You're, you're a hero of Lin-Manuel Miranda's. Who were some of the, your heroes when you were, were coming up and beginning to first create uh, your music? Uh, uh, George Gershwin,
1: Irving Berlin, uh, uh, Jerome Kern. Uh, every, every generation has its own, not just musical heroes, but influences. And what's, what really really kind of dazzles me, that when we work together is that we are separated by, not just two generations, by three generations. <laughs> <laughs> and yet the actual process of, of writing and working is uh, almost absurdly easy.
0: Yeah, really. Even though sometimes when you approach a, start a song, you think, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but you
2: never know what Yeah, but do. we go there
0: together. <laughs> oh, that's nice. A lonely place to be alone. <laughs> yeah. What is that feeling like? Is, what is that feeling like when you realize you've gone from not knowing to knowing something? How does that happen? What is that mysterious moment when the blank page turns into not an accusation, but a possibility? We talk about that all the time, actually.
1: Yeah, it's... Uh, uh, in the first place, you never know much. You <laughs> really don't. But something begins to happen. And, and if you're working with another person, it begins, you begin to pile idea on idea. Uh, and it's an adventure. And if you don't put some god up there telling you that's no good, you can go ahead and, and just do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and his hands are really fast. It's
2: like, you know, a a lot of what writing is to us is us just eating bagels and talking about what's on TV. And then at a certain point, we'll turn to the piano and we'll talk about the idea we have. His hands will start going, and I'll just start trying to write words to keep up with what's coming out of his hands. And the first song we wrote together, which is the opening number of New York, New York, we wrote in about an hour and 15 minutes. And there's a moment... I actually filmed us singing through it for the first time... And there's this moment where you just kind of look at each other like, well, this exists now. <laughs> I, think, I, I think <laughs> that...
1: He, he just said something really important that I think that a lot of people don't understand with people who make art, if you will. One of the great... One of the great things about making stuff is something is there that was not there before. And I can't tell you what an ego trip that is. <laughs> John, thank you so much for being here.
0: Lovely to talk to you. Lynn, as always. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. Just one more thing, if you want to see more of me, come to the Late Show YouTube channel for more clips and exclusives.
1: Hey everyone, it's David Duchovny. Do you ever feel like a failure? Trust me, I get it. Hell, I've spent my whole life, almost, feeling like a failure. It's appropriate, though, because on Fail Better, my new podcast with Lemonata Media, exploring the world of failure how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives is the whole point. Each week, I'll chat with artists, athletes, actors, and experts about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts.